How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, grace my fears relieved. How precious did. That grace appeared the hour I first believed. Amen. Amen. I love that old song. Has quite a history to it. Um, many of you probably know this. Maybe some of you don't. The song is written by a former slave trader. And uh, he was on his way back from Africa with a his hold full of slaves. And they hit an amazingly rough storm. And he became in fear of his life. And in the middle of the terror of that storm, God impressed upon him the evil that he was engaging in, in selling other men and women and children. He repented, left the slave business, became a firm abolitionist for the rest of his life, and went back to England and actually became a priest in the Church of England. And this song, Amazing Grace, is not only talking about, he's not only talking about the work that God did in his heart, in saving him. But another driving force behind it was how incredibly wretched he felt realizing that he had been involved in the sale and the death and torture of other human beings. Uh, so it's an amazing song and there's an amazing story behind it. Well, welcome Welcome, welcome, welcome to 
wrap-up Saturday. Uh, I am your host, Paige. I would like you to join me for some coffee, the Bible, and me. And you get to listen to me murmur and meander and and, uh, think with my mouth open. So, having said that, what is Wrap Up Saturday this week going to be about? Well, I thought I'd bring us up to speed. In John's uh, in John's gospel, he says in, let's see, in John's, I think it's chapter 20. Let me go find out. Oh, first of all, oh, well, good morning, Henry. You beat me to it. I was going to say, let me say hello. So I will go, hello, Henry. Nice to see you here, young man. You are up early on a Saturday. If there's anybody else out there, throw a holler at me. Let me hear from you. All right. Um, let me go to uh, John 20. I don't have the text up here, so I'll just read it first. Let's see here. Uh, John 20, here we go, Bible Gateway. By the way, Bible Gateway is an incredibly powerful program. Um, I don't know if, if you're aware of how cool it is or not, but it has a ton of uh, study helps and all that kind of stuff. All right, let's see here. Toward the end, I'll see, I'll, I'll find it, I'll find it. I'm looking for the passage that says... Uh, but these things have I written. Hmm. He said that I have written these things so that you would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and so believing have life in his name. Looking for that verse. Of course I can't find it when I absolutely need to find it. You would think that'd be one of the first verses I would put up here. Ah, here we go. <laughs> John 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, in other words, what we've been reading. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's his sole purpose of writing this gospel. So we are halfway through his gospel. We're into chapter 11, slightly past halfway point. So I thought I would just do a really quick summary, and we'll see if John is living up to his own expectations. He says he's written these things so you may believe. So the things he's chosen are going to, should be plainly aimed at convincing us that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and believing we might have life in his name. So let's take a look at the um, first, we we'll go by chapter by chapter. First of all, in chapter one, here's what John the Apostle says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So John the apostle is saying that Jesus is the word. Jesus is God. Later on in chapter one, we see John the Baptist saying, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist believes that Jesus is the lamb of God. John the apostle believes he's the word of God. Nathaniel, one of his first disciples. Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. 
he believes that Jesus is Messiah. Now, chapter two and chapter three, they contain references, but I'm looking for the most blatantly obvious, as plain as the nose in your face type statements. Um, there are many inferences in Jesus's discussion with Nicodemus, for instance, but I'm, I'm looking for something. I'm, I was just went looking for things that are just blatantly obvious. So we get up to chapter four. The woman said, I know Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So we have John the Apostle believes his, Jesus is the word. John the Baptist says Jesus is the Lamb of God. Nathaniel says he's the King of Israel, the Son of God. And then Jesus himself says, I am Messiah. The Samaritan villagers later on in chapter 4. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know this man really is the Savior of the world. Isn't that amazing? We're just up to chapter 4. And look at all this, all these statements. You can see... You can see John's focus in his gospel is really gathering those things together. And we're going to find out that situation after situation after situation that John brings up is demonstrating or stating who Jesus is. All right, let's go to the next one. John chapter 6. Jesus himself declared, I'm the bread of life. The disciples, after his disciples had left him, um, Jesus had asked his disciples, are you going to leave also? And Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you really, that you are the Holy One of God. All right. So the disciples believe that he's the Holy One of God. Jesus again announced in his uh, discussion slash debate with the uh, religious leaders. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. That phrase, I am, is a direct reference to the God of Moses, who told Moses, tell them I am has sent you. That's one of the names of God. Chapter 9, Jesus and the formerly blind man. Jesus heard they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now, again, Jesus called himself the son of man, right? And the formerly blind man believed him. Do you remember what we said about, well, I'll come back to that point in a second. Let's keep on going here. And then lastly, chapter 10 and 11. Jesus said in chapter 10, there's all sorts of inferences here. And he's referring and he's referencing uh, the uh, Old Testament here. And this would be much more clear to people from a Jewish mindset than perhaps from a Gentile mindset. But he said, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The works I do in my father's name testify about me. Believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. All right, what he's saying here, when he talks about being a shepherd and all that imagery surrounding, surrounding shepherding, it's kind of referencing like Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Hmm. God is the shepherd. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that this is a picture of. He says, the works I do in my father's name testify about me. Hang on to that thought for a second. We will come back to that. 
And then later on, when in chapter 11, when he raises Lazarus, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus shows up and Martha meets him and says one of the most amazing things. She says, Lord, prior to this, she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now you will, the father will give you what you ask for. And then Jesus made the, that iconic statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the who is to come into the world. So Martha confesses that he is Messiah. So what do we have here so far? Jesus is plainly stating he's Messiah. He's plainly stating he is God in the God. John the apostle said he's God in the flesh. John the Baptist says he is the Lamb of God. All this imagery, messianic imagery, is focused on Jesus. So people outside of Jesus are saying this about him, and Jesus himself is saying this about himself. Do you understand when we talked about uh, C.S. Lewis, that whole Lord, liar, lunatic thing, where he says, that he does not allow people to say something as foolish as Jesus was a good moral teacher. Um, he didn't leave us this option. And we can see that here just up through the first half of this gospel. Now, whether or not you believe that Jesus is Messiah, whether or not you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Good Shepherd, the Gate, whether or not you believe that Jesus is the great I am, whether or not you believe that, you have to acknowledge that Jesus believed that, that his followers believed that. That's John's purpose so far. Just to let you know, this is what the people around Jesus thought. And this is what Jesus himself thought. Now, it's interesting. Jesus says here in chapter 10, believe the works that you may know and understand the Father is in me and I in the Father. He's telling them, look at the works I'm doing. They'll tell you who I am. Well, let's take one more, take one more step in this little journey today. Isaiah 35. Let me go find Isaiah 35. Uh, here we go. I'm going to, in fact, I'm just going to read it to you. you, you if you want to pull it up, you can. But I'm going to just read Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Jesus specifically is making the blind to see, making the lame to walk, uh, making the deaf to hear. Very specific signs linked to messianic passage of scripture like this. He says here, your God will come with vengeance with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. 
All right, so you can you can understand why many of the religious-minded folks in Israel at that time were looking for a military Messiah who will come with vengeance and deliver them from the bondage of their oppressors, the Roman rulers. I wrote my thoughts down here. Isaiah 35 speaks of the coming of the Lord and some of the accompanying signs that make the lame to walk would be, making the lame to walk, the blind to see, etc. The context of this also speaks of God as being the God of vengeance coming, and, they, and these would be the signs of his coming. Interesting thought. The Jewish religious folk were focused on a military-minded Messiah whose vengeance would be aimed at their Roman rulers. But what if they missed the point? What if the vengeance was, aimed, vengeance was indeed aimed at the real enemy, the destroyer of our souls, Satan himself? Isaiah 35 promises vengeance. The God of vengeance will come, and he will save you. What if it wasn't from the Roman government? What if it was instead from the bondage of sin? What if it was instead from the bondage of the enemy of our souls? They could not ignore what he was doing. In fact, we see in chapter 11, and we saw that yesterday. Uh, in yesterday's chapter, it says, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle it? If he keeps doing these signs, everybody will be going over to him, and then Rome will come in and destroy our temple and our city. They've gone from trying to discredit what he's doing, just, we got to get rid of him because we're going to lose everything. And you got to realize if the temple's gone, then the job of the priests are gone and their position of prominence and power and prestige is gone. If there's no temple, there's no priest. So even his detractors could not ignore and were no longer ignoring the fact that he was doing signs but they were so wrapped up in their uh, hatred and so wrapped up in their pursuit of power and prestige and position that they chose to protect their livelihood and their position and power over paying attention to what these signs meant they would ask jesus again and again and again who are you tell us plainly who you are and he would answer, look at the works I'm doing. I'm making the blind to see. I'm making the lame to walk. And he just got done raising the dead for crying out loud. If that isn't a sign of something special, and yet, in spite of these signs, they were still his enemies. So, my point in wrap-up Saturday today is really simple. We're just building a list in this gospel based on his reference in his the, chapter 20 where he says, I've written these things I've written so that you can believe he's a son of God and by believing have life in his name. These evidences of what other people are saying, what other people are thinking, and what Jesus himself is saying and what Jesus himself is thinking, and in fact, even what his enemies are thinking. It's going to force you to make a decision about what you think, who you think Jesus is. I have never made it a secret of who I, uh, of who I think Jesus is. I believe he's the savior of all mankind. I believe that he, he died in order that I might have fellowship with God. I believe that this life that we're living now is a preview of coming attractions. I believe that what we do in this life 
is important because there will come a time when death will strike us down. It does everybody. And we walk from this world into the next. I believe that what you do and say about Jesus will have a lot, will have everything to do with determining what happens on the other side of that door for you. Christianity is not an inclusive religion. It's an exclusive religion. I don't believe that all mountains reach to the sky and all rivers run to the ocean. But at the same time, I also recognize that there's a lot of things I don't know. And I know my God's mercy is great and is powerful. I also know what I'm reading here. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. At some point, everybody will be at a point of decision where you have to decide what you're going to do with this one called Jesus. And that's John's whole point in writing this gospel. Like I said, it's not a biographical sketch like all the other ones that basically kind of have a story arc over the entire life of Jesus from the birth to the death. Here, the entire last half of the book is focused on his last week. Because John is getting ready to leave this world. John is an old, old man at the time when he wrote this. He's the last living remnant, the last living eyewitness to the death and resurrection of, the, of Messiah. The church had moved out of the synagogues, had become its own sect, and was no longer considered part of the Jewish faith. Even though there were still strong Jewish elements in it, it was no longer part of the Jewish faith. And as a result... It was taking on its own identity. But there were heresies that were sneaking into the, into the church because this is a brand new thing. And so he wrote in his gospel the things he felt were most important for them to know to reassure them of their faith and to remind them, like C.S. Lewis said, that Jesus does not leave you the option to think of him as a good man or just a moral teacher. That's not an option. He's either Lord, like he says he is, and we've seen that here, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Those are your only three real choices when it comes to Jesus. All right, ladles and jelly spoons, tomorrow I'm off because I will be at church. Monday, we will pick back up with John chapter 12, and we begin to look at the Passover. All right, this is Mr. G. And I'm out of here. Bye-bye.